So hello and welcome to Vista Talks, interesting discussions with interesting people from all around the world. I'm your host for today, Simon Hodgkins, and I'm delighted to be joined by Jessica Huey. Jessica is described by Forbes of one of the most of one of the UK's most influential women on true success. Uh, Jessica is a PR powerhouse and a maverick entrepreneur. She was recognized with an MBE for services to entrepreneurship and contribution to diversity. Jessica also has an acclaimed book called Purpose, which was published by Hay House and was named one of the UK's best business books written by women by the Telegraph newspaper. The Purpose retreats take place twice a year in lovely Jamaica and the UK, and her experience I know is sought out broadly from round tables at number 10 Downing Street to many uh, boards for Jessica's input. So Jessica, it's lovely to have you on the show. You're very welcome. It's great to be here. <laughs> very good. You're joining us from Jamaica today, is that correct? Mm, sunny Montego Bay. Lovely, beautiful. Well, look, let's move on. Uh, I've got a few things I want to ask you. And of course, we have to start. I mentioned there that you have an MBE. So it's not very often we have someone with an MBE on the show. But I would like you to maybe share some information about your MBE. How did that come about? Well, at the MBE, so that was 2014 um, when I uh, received a very exciting letter from the postman um, letting me know that I was being acknowledged for as you said, services to entrepreneurship and contribution to diversity in the UK, um, which was really a result of having become what I describe as an accidental entrepreneur. I was going through this, uh, I was in the middle of a, a really, you know, successful in terms of society's, you know, what society would deem as successful media career, working as a publicist with many, many high profile superstars um, and entrepreneurs all around the world and um, and loving it you know loving it um, it was a crazy existence you know for a young woman who um, grew up in a council estate you know I was finding myself traveling around the world on private jets to places I'd never heard of with currencies I'd never heard of you know and it really opened my eyes to um, yeah to new experiences and and yet I had started to experience what I guess was a bit of a disconnect between um, my values, which I was becoming more confident in as I was getting into my, you know, becoming older. And, and I guess the, the sort of the environment that I was working in, and I don't mean the agency, I mean the wider industry and this whole, um, uh, the beast that is, is show business, you know. Um, and... So yeah, during that period, I had gone looking for a greeting card for my little girl who was seven at the time and looking for, for she, she didn't like her hair. She had beautiful Afro hair. And I went looking for a brown skin princess that would, um, I was just going to write a note saying you're perfect as you are. And, you know, that, that was all it was going to be. It was a lunch, lunch break trip to Oxford Street um, and discovered that there was nothing in the high street that was representative. Um, you know, all of the princesses were blonde and blue eyed. And this was sort of 2006, 2007, at a time when, 
you know, representation, the importance of representation and diversity and inclusion really wasn't on the news agenda in the way that it is today. And, and in that moment, I just decided that something needed to be done. It was important for me as a mother that I could find um, a visual representation of my daughter so that she would feel she was enough. You know, she didn't need to aspire to an ideal that she couldn't. <laughs> um, and, 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 and I knew that if I felt that, there would be other people who felt that. So intuitively, I just knew this was something that I needed to... Um, yeah, step into and and that that process of you know having that thought of oh why don't you do it you know changed my life and took me on this wonderful entrepreneurial journey which saw us become colorblind cards become the first independent greeting card publisher to have a secure presence for black cards in the British High Street and we went on to secure um, American and South African distribution. Um, and perhaps even more importantly than, than the presence, or just as importantly, be a big part of opening up that conversation around the importance of representation in a way that was very human um, and, and easy for people to, um, you know, wrap their heads around, to, 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 uh, to accept and therefore to challenge the status quo. And, and I'm very proud of that. No, and, and rightly so. And I think the uh, the diversity and inclusion conversation that I think is more prominent now, probably not as prominent as it should be in certain quarters, but it is definitely on the agenda. And it is certainly a topic of, of a lot more conversation and debate and understanding. Whereas back when you uh, decided, you know, that, that sort of moment in time, that thought process, why don't I do this? I don't think it was as uh, front of... The, the news headlines, you, we weren't reading about it back then, right? No, I mean, it was the, the response, you know, when I let people know what I was doing, whether it was buyers, you know, in the high street or, um, you know, in media interviews, it, it was very much like, oh, yeah, there aren't any cards that have Asian mixed black people on them. Um, and of course, it just sparks a, a wider conversation around where else um, there wasn't representation and how normalized it was for us to um, just accept that the families on the, you know, TV commercials for the Iceland advert or the, you know, John Lou, whatever it might be, um, were white and not representative of the, you know, beautiful multicultural um, country that, that it, it is today or, or was then, you know, and, and, and that there was, there was something that needed to shift um, so yeah, it was very much, a an, oh yeah, as opposed to, a, yes, we know that there's a, you know, that there's something that we need to, um, to change here. And how wonderful that you were able to, to do that, to almost kickstart and help progress that discussion. But tell me a bit about the actual MVE process itself. What was it like? Cause I mean, the palace and, and, and everything that goes along with that, what was that like actually receiving the MVE? It was wonderful. I mean, you know, for I took my mom and dad and my daughter Monet, who was about thirteen, I think, at that point, um, and it, it was very special. It was a real sort of fork in the road for, I guess, the journey that I'd been on as a person. You know, from being a, a very young mum and working incredibly hard to go back into education, and then 
forge this this career um, in, in environments where you know I, I often found myself the only sort of state education educated young woman you know the only woman of color um, and, and that came with its own challenges but but it you know I have no doubt that it it's all um, there were many gifts that came through that experience of um, you know those contrasts but so yeah, there was the acknowledgement and also just being able to take my parents who had worked so hard, you know, with their own, you know, huge amount of challenges that they both came with as individuals. But my dad particularly having come to, um, to Britain in the Windrush years, you know, at a time where it was no blacks, no Irish, no dogs, for him to go to the palace, it felt like a, a real sort of, um, there was a there was a deeper level of significance about that and you know it's one of the reasons that you know where there are I've been asked about you know the MBE and you know the the whole British empire um, and whether or not there's been a sense of conflict for me as a woman of colour accepting an MBE it was very simple for me it was a, a a moment for for to acknowledge my dad's hard work to um, it felt like a reclamation in some way and a, uh, a, a positive um, indicator of, of growth um, and progress in the, you know, and, 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 and yeah, and that, that's, that for me um, prevailed, yeah, and, and continues to. Yeah, and no, you, particularly your parents' generation and what they went through. And, you know, and then the next moment, uh, the father and the daughter are at, are at the palace. I mean, it, it is a significant sort of time for reflection, isn't it? And, uh, yeah, I can also understand the questions that have been raised as well. And you have to really consider all, all aspects of that. But I appreciate you sharing that with us. And it's, it's a wonderful, a wonderful achievement. So congratulations on the MBE, of course. Um, but you're no stranger to um, fancy addresses because I know you've also been involved over the years with a number of roundtable discussions at number 10 Downing Street, which is another famous British address, I should say. Um, and, you know, as the official sort of residence, I suppose, of the Prime Minister, and there's been a lot of change recently, both in terms of uh, the monarchy and also in terms of British politics. Um, it's been an interesting year, but being involved in roundtables at number 10 must have been interesting. Could you maybe share a little bit about that too? Mm, it was, I mean, it was a long time ago. It was it, during those um, those colorblind card years, which was sort of going back to kind of 2000, um, the late 2000s and, you know, good sort of at least 10 years ago, but it, it was, uh, um, yeah, it's a, it's a privilege to be able to use my voice to um, talk about how we can encourage a more enterprising young Britain um, and also to be able to share insights which perhaps, um, you know, weren't so widely shared generally in, in the rooms at number 10 um, around some of the barriers and obstacles that prevent young people from... Um, you know embarking on an entrepreneurial route um and just to yeah sort of speak speak some um as I said to sort of give insight and experience um around the fact that it's not just 
um, you know, in London particularly, there is so much in the way of resource to support young people in making a success of their life, whether through academia, um, you know, apprenticeships, um, entrepreneurships. There's so much. There's the work that Prince's Trust do. There's, there's a phenomenal amount. And yet it doesn't, it can't stop at resource because in my experience, so often it's the, you know, some of the greatest challenges that, that we can, we can all face, but particularly young people that come from, you know, come from adversity are internal. And so it, for us to ignore those, um, you know, we miss out on, on nurturing and um, so much of the talent that is, that is out there. Um, and so, yeah, it was, it was a great time to be able to, um, to represent those voices, yeah. And from those times, and I know it was a, little, a number of years ago now, but today's London or today's Britain, do you think that's, you know, we've seen those changes? Do you think it's a completely different landscape now? Or how do you feel about it today? I think we're moving in the right direction. I, I, there are, you know, there are uh, uh, friends and connections that I have that are doing incredible work um, to reach some of the hardest to reach young people um, and getting great support, you know, in doing so. So, you know, that, that, that's unquestionable. I think there's also a lot more, there's a, there's a greater depth of understanding about the barriers um, and less of the sort of previous um, you know, I think we, 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 we've come through a time where often particular role models, and I include myself in that, would be held up as, you know, well, this individual and that individual did it and therefore everyone can do it. And actually that's, that's just such a, a limited narrative, which, um, you know, doesn't, doesn't really speak to the, the sort of truth of the matter. And, 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 and also I think there's a greater acceptance of our collective responsibility you know which is a, a wonderful thing you know and and less of the perhaps perhaps less of the um the separation I, I, that, that's my sense it's it's that's my sense that there is a um yeah a greater um recognition of how particularly, you know, the in different institutions from education, um, you know, impact life chances of a young person and going off into the workforce um, and how, you know, whether it's um, uh, unconscious bias from on the part of teachers in the classroom can have a, 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 an incredibly tragic effect on, you know, talent that never actually, you know, it, there's so much. And I, and I think, we're just, we've got a greater, a greater understanding today that the conversations that need to be happening in order for us to move forward um, feel like they, they began to happen around the time of the pandemic and particularly the murder of George Floyd. I think it was a real, um, you know, a, a sort of turning point, a shift. Um, that's, that's, that's my sense. Yeah. Yeah. No, I appreciate that. And um it's interesting, I was just reflecting on what you're saying there in terms of, I suppose, kickstarting the conversation many years ago about, well, here's somebody else who's done it, so you can do it too. It's much more nuanced than that. It's much more complex than that. It's much more layered than that. And you were talking a little bit about, 
you know, to reach certain segments and to be able to understand whether it's that unconscious bias that, that's crept in that prevents somebody from realizing their full potential. And the multitude, it's a very complex uh, area to get right. But I think, you know, through people like yourself and the work that you, you do and have done, uh, and also the people that you mentioned who are really, I think, making a difference and helping to progress the conversations and hopefully we're reaching more and more people. Um, and hopefully that continues. And I think I think you covered it right, um, Jessica, when you said, I think we're moving in the right direction. I think we, mm. we certainly have direction now, but as with most things, more to do here, right? Um, mm. But look, we've mentioned uh, the MBE. We've mentioned some really nice addresses like Buckingham Palace, like 10 Downing Street. But I also wanted to mention another address, uh, which I'm a little bit fascinated by, and that's that of the British Library. Uh, because as the the sort of UK's national library, I think, um, I was fascinated to read that not only does it provide sort of, you know, the information services that we have for, you know, academics and business and research and scientific communities, but that they have a collection of over 170 million items. And, you know, artifacts from every age of the written civilization and how the British Library keeps and collects a nation's archive of printed and digital publications. And the, the bit that really blew me away and I really was fascinated with was they have to, they add around 3 million new items to the collection every single year. Now I know in the past you've held workshops at the British Library and I think it's a fabulous address and location. And maybe you have some plans to, to revisit that in the not too distant future, but what's your experience of the British Library and what you were, involved in that. Mm. That's a, it's a wonderful place you know you wander in and it's just so full of knowledge and you can sort of feel it in the air um, but there are it's it's such an accessible open place too and you walk in and um, you know there are people um, pursuing their dreams and their business visions and sitting there with their laptops and kind of working freely they always have really good cake <laughs> you know <laughs> And the, um, you know, my workshops were at the Business and IP Centre. Um, and yes, I, I'm, I'm sure I will, you know, um, do them again. Um, helping small business owners to embrace visibility with integrity, with authenticity. Um, and they were really uh, just, just, we'd have a blast, you know, it'd be three hours of people coming in and from all walks of life and all sectors. Um, and we'd really get to know each other throughout the three hours and they would leave, you know, sort of um, empowered to go out and step into, um, in, into visibility and, and share their message and reach more of their audience. So it was really a way of me taking, repurposing, you know, those years of um, being a publicist and a PR consultant into a manner which felt much more aligned with um, the person that I was becoming. Um, but it's a, a really, it's a great, they have such incredible um, support there for people, for, for, for business owners. So yeah, whether you, it's around trademarking or, you know, market research, you can, you can go in and spend an afternoon and, and be supported in finding what you need. Yeah, well, look, I, I don't want to run out of time here because I want to ask you something else as well. And you've just sparked something there that I must ask you about. And, you know, speaking of libraries, you, you, are, you are a successful author in your own right. 
uh, with your book. Uh, you're the author of Purpose. And, you know, this is about finding your truth, embracing your calling. I know it was published by Hay House. And uh, as the founder of something also called the Purpose Academy, uh, which I know has a purpose for, um, what I say, purpose-driven business owners uh, would be the mm -hmm. way I think it's best described. But you also mentioned about your former career there a little bit. And I, I just want to sort of ask you about that too, because as a former uh, publicist, people may not know that you were representing, I suppose, socially conscious personalities and entrepreneurs and within your roles and within your background as this publicist, uh, you represented some of the UK and the USA's best known brands. And that would be people uh, and personalities. That would be people like Samuel L. Jackson, who I'm sure we all know, uh, Simon Cowell, um, who's big both in both sides of the Atlantic, um, Kelly Rowland, the Duchess of Sussex, Meghan Markle. Um, and so maybe you could share a little bit of information, if you can, about your career as a publicist and, of course, about the book Purpose. And maybe that could lead us into, you know, the Purpose Academy, because there's quite a bit there. And I don't want to skip over those because they're three very interesting elements, you know, the Academy, the book and, of course, the, the publicist career that you've had. So in in, uh, in order, so to start with it, it's interesting that you said, you know, I represented socially conscious celebrities because I don't know, I don't know that I did. At that point, you know, I, I think, you know, we, we tend to attract people who align with ourselves, I guess, in, to a certain degree. And, um, but perhaps it's that the elements that, that, of, of the sort of facets of their being, of their work in the world that I was most interested in, I tended to bring out perhaps. I don't know, it's an interesting one. Um, but yeah, no, it was uh, interesting times, you know, to, um, I tended to work with, with these personalities around their, you know, their not-for-profit work or um, their initiative, their social initiatives. Um, and, and often just helping them to share more of who they are um, and, and just, just sort of identifying the, um, yeah, the sort of messages that, that, that would be most useful for, for their audience. And, you know, it's PR, so it's, it's, um, it's always about, um, promotion you know there's no getting away from that it's always about raising a profile or creating visibility and media coverage um but I I think even then which was before I wrote purpose and before I had this real kind of shift into what what have become my purpose years I think even then there was a sort of natural inclination to want to bring draw out the good and share that in service to you know humanity to the you know to people who are you know in recognition of how powerful celebrity is you know how much influence they have um so i think that's something that i did very naturally um but that that was you know a, a, again a few years back so sort of pre um prince harry certainly <laughs> yeah but it's it's interesting that you say because 
um, you know, sort of those social elements or those sort of um, uh, non-profit charitable community type aspects to each person that we mentioned there. Um, it, there's also a personal brand wrapped up in that, isn't there? And each one of those people that we mentioned and others, uh, are, you know, internationally known. So making sure that that story is right, that it's correct, that it reflects well, that it's accurate, and that it's also aligned with that person's sort of personal beliefs and your own. It's, that's not easy. Um, it sounds very glitzy and glamorous, but I think it's probably a lot more um, complex than people imagine, um, because it is PR at the end of the day, isn't it? Um, but tell tell me tell me all about the book because I want to know about the book because I think it's uh, it's fabulous that you you've published this. I mentioned by uh, Hay House, so tell me about mm. the book. How did that come about, and uh, what what what's the story mm. behind that? So the book was um, another you know accident or you know synchronicity. Um, I wasn't intending on writing a book, but it it emerged. Um, in 2016 for the first time, I think. So I had stopped to care for my dad who was had been diagnosed with terminal cancer. And, and I, at that point, you know, I was a complete workaholic. I was juggling two businesses, colorblind cards, um, JHPR, my, you know, um, PR agency and working all the hours. And I had been doing that consistently for, you know, 15 years. Um, I'm very much defined by my career, by my awards, by by the by my doing. I was defined by my doing and what I did for a living. And I think often the challenge with that is the more that you're celebrated for something, as I as I was, which is a wonderful thing, um, because I had you know overcome so many hurdles as this young mum, you know, to create that career in some ways, I think the celebration just went some way to perpetuate the feeling that who, you know, who, or the question of well, who am I without that stuff, you know? And so you just keep doing um, on this hamster wheel. And so, yeah, 2016, I stopped for the first time to care for my dad and it was a life-changing period of um, presence and um, reconnection to, what's real um, when you take it, when suddenly those awards and title on the business card and celebrity clients and all of the stuff um, is shown up for what it is, which is just, you know, a fun way to spend the life actually. <laughs> but it's not, you know, when it comes to um, birth and death, um, you know, it really is only love and connection and, um that 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 matter um and so grief was a very powerful you know as I kept cared for my dad you know with his lung cancer and as it sort of spread to the rest of his body it was a real just a return to what what is real and during that time I picked up a pen and started to write on the back of an envelope three o'clock in the morning three days before my dad passed on by that point he was in this kind of coma state you know med medicated um and yeah it, the book the this stream of consciousness sort of hit the page and that evolved into the book purpose 
um, which was really me um, redefining success for myself, sharing my journey. And it was the beginning of um, a journey back to myself, really, a journey of letting my heart sort of lead my life rather than my head and, and getting in touch with who I was, what was really important to me rather than what I should be doing and, you know, trying to fit into some kind of external validation. Yeah, thanks very much for, for sharing that. It sounded like the book had to be written and you, you just sort of... Mm poured onto the pages by all accounts and so that the purpose academy then was the final bit so that sort of led on to more things hasn't it with an academy now so what what's the academy what's the purpose academy all about yeah so I think you know that process of that I just kind of shared a little bit of writing the book and that journey that I began um it has been a it changed my career it changed my life it, it had me question all of my choices and you know look at where they weren't aligned with yeah how I want to live my life and you know who I feel I'm here to be and so it, it just led me to evolve and I guess the Purpose Academy is a culmination of all of that experience as a publicist and a PR consultant repurposed um, into um, a vehicle which is much more aligned with who I am today and and what I believe in, which is um, that visibility is a very powerful tool for sharing a message, for, um, for, 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 for expanding, amplifying reach um, and doing, you know, great work in the world, reaching people. Um, and so the people that come to the Purpose Academy are, are all... Um, I guess of that same belief system um, and they are the people who are challenging in the best way um, the way we've been doing things in a variety of different industries and presenting solutions for um, a way forward which places equity and um, yeah of, of placing the person and, and the well-being of, of, of people at the heart of their work and I love it. Yeah, it's great. <laughs> it sounds wonderful. Uh, you mentioned something earlier, which I'm certainly going to use from here, uh, which is you said now in my purpose years. I, I, love, that. <laughs> I love that turn of phrase. Um, but uh, look, wonderful. And it, it not that it's full circle. Uh, maybe that's the wrong term. But it's interesting, isn't it, that after all the success and all the things that we've spoken about it comes back to doesn't it that human connection what's important what the per what is actually the purpose and it's it's interesting um i wanted to ask you though before we wrap up today is there anything else that you'd like to share with our audience jessica is there anything that we haven't touched on that you'd like to maybe share today um not really i think if it resonates you should read the book <laughs> Very good. Um, yeah. Yeah. No, not really. I, I think it's been a lovely chat. I think we've we covered a lot. We certainly um, have. And yeah. if people if people want to find you or get in touch or find you online, where's the best place for them to go, Jessica? How do they find you? My website is jessicahuey.com. Um, and I'm sort of active on LinkedIn and Instagram particularly. 
Um, and failing that, they are very welcome to come to the Purpose Retreat in Jamaica, which is uh, January 9th to the 16th, next 2023. Mm. That, that sounds wonderful. Uh, well, look, Jessica, that's going to be the end of today's show. It's been an absolute pleasure to catch up with Jessica Huey today. Uh, please make sure that you all tune in again to see and or listen to the next Vista Talk show, where once again, we'll be discussing some interesting topics with interesting people from all around the world. Thank you so much, Jessica. Thanks for having me, Simon.